GM. Let's go. Put it in the box. And make it 14 as he gets Anderson looking. Jacob DeGrom ties his career high with 14 strikeouts. Scooter and the big man bust the city in half, and the Mets lead it. A grand slam high off the right field foul pole. He's done it again. Francisco Lindor. That's driven to deep right field, headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Jeff McNeil breaks the ice with his 23rd home run of the year. Uh, amazing city. Podcast. All right, and welcome back to another episode of The Amazing City. I think we're on 21. I, I, I never forget, never remember which episode we're on. Uh, plenty of stuff to go over, though, because, again, never boring time in Metsland. First, I guess we need to give a congratulations to the Atlanta Braves for making us both look stupid and really controlling that entire series besides one game. Uh, we both predicted Astros and five. We both look really stupid right now. Um, so I guess congrats to them. And before we get into anything, and this is something that I said to you before, I just, I have to bring up this analogy of the Braves that I, or, or the Astros that I came up with. The Houston Astros are the New England Patriots, with Tom Brady, that is. Every year, year in, year out, they'll coast through the regular season, They'll coast through the playoffs. The, they'll get to the, the end, and whoever they're playing, they just seem to always come out on top. They'll always have, have the opposing team right where they want them, no matter what. They were down 28-3. to three. They still won the whole damn thing. But in comes these two goofy-ass teams from the NFC East. You have the Giants. You have the Eagles. You got Eli Manning and Nick Foles. I mean, essentially the dumb and dumber cast of, of the NFL. I mean, hell, if you if you listen to an Austin Riley press conference, you close your eyes, you hear Eli Manning. It's it's so annoying. <laughs> like if I weren't a Met fan, if I weren't a fan of the of uh, an NL East team, I would have enjoyed this. I would have had a great time. I would have laughed and, and brought up a comparison like this a while ago. But it's so damn annoying coming from this perspective of a Met fan. But I guess we just have to kind of get over it and establish the fact that the Houston Astros have lost to two of the worst teams to win a world series in our lifetime. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's confusing to say the least, you know, happens once, you know, fluke world series happens. Look at the 06 Cardinals, but when it happens twice in three years, coming out of the worst division in baseball and they both teams beat the same team right effectively the same core the only real major piece missing being you know Cole and Verlander mm-hmm. granted those are huge names but they're still able to get to the World Series without them that's the only real pieces that are mythic, missing and it's it's confusing it's perplexing you know obviously you can't point to a systematic failure because you know cheating or not they have a ring they continue to get there every year. It's been under, you know, they're under different managers. Yeah, I believe. So it's doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, this is five straight years with the Ashes being in the ALCS, and until something crazy changes, I don't see that being That's taken away from them. Because I'm still not a huge fan of, of uh, you know, what Tampa's been doing the past couple postseasons. So I don't know if they're going to be able to take them down at all. Boston, I think, is a few pieces away. The Yankees always find some way to crash and pummel to the ground. No so, one in the center. Yeah, like, are you going to rely on the White Sox? I don't think so. But yeah, I think the right the White Sox are built on have, being in a terrible division. Exactly. I think they look a lot more mediocre, mediocre next year. And, you know, the Tigers are one step closer to Riley Green being up mm-hmm. to the show. You have a full year of Casey Mize. You have guys like Tariq Skubal on the way. Matt Manning. Now you have an open checkbook to go find Carlos Correa and some other right. pieces. You know, it'll reunion with Nick Castellanos. The possibilities for Detroit. No, no they, they they can get Correa, and that's <laughs> don't all squash say, all my dreams hey, here. Hey, fun fun Tigers teams are good for baseball. I think. Sure. I think if you I think you give Miggy one last good supporting cast, 
Just get him to the postseason one last time. Call it a day. See what happens. Yeah. Why not? Uh, Even like the Ray Lewis treatment. Like put a mediocre team around them that's just good enough to get there, and then maybe they can go on a fun magical ride. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't yeah, fun well, for me, but I can't imagine. But uh, enough about other teams. Let's get into really the Mets. Always stuff going on here. I mean, hell, we just recorded, tried to record a couple of days ago before your your phone just crashed and we had to kind of kill the whole thing. But it seems like the Mets have, once again, another favorite for the GM spot, and this one seems to have some very real legs to it. Uh, Adam Cromie, who hasn't been in baseball in quite some time, the couple, past couple of years after leaving the Nationals in 2017, I believe, he's now on, on, the, on the law side. He's doing a bunch of stuff, but... Uh, from what you've been telling me and from what a bunch of people have been saying on Twitter, it seems like he's a smart guy who has an analytical background, which is what the Mets have been looking for. And now he has someone who, if you're bringing in names that you might bring along with you, it seems they're going to be taking the job. And uh, I get, I forget the guy's first name already. I think it's like Sam Mondry Cohen, if I, if I memory serves correctly. Uh, so what what do you what do you make of this? It's not going to be as bad as Brody because at least these guys have some baseball experience, but it just seems just seems odd. You know, I think the Mets are kind of at a point now where they have to start looking outside the box. Um, you know, I can't I can understand why at the surface level you can play your visionist history and compare it to Brody, but Brody was a yes man and a golfing buddy who told Jeff Wilpon everything he wanted to hear. Um, I think Chromie has a background enough where you can understand how he might be qualified. You know, he got as high as you can get without being a GM. Uh, you know, he was a number two or three in Washington by the end of the regime. But not the, by the end of the regime, the regime's still in, in place. By the end of his tenure, he was moving pretty high up the chains. Um, but, you know, I think you also have to look at it as, you know, he, he has been out of baseball for about three, four years now. But at the same time, he's still been working in, ar in arbitration, supposedly, and on that side of baseball. Uh, I believe I read somewhere he'd been serving as a counsel for the Nationals, so still being involved with the team. Obviously not nearly, nearly the same title or the same job, but, you know, he, now he's also working for one of the largest and most successful law firms in the country at Jones Day, and he's been there only four years, so I can't imagine him already being done with that aspect of his life and being willing to jump back over to baseball without some sort of guarantee that he will be able to do the job. You know, the concern all winter is no one wants to be Sandy Alderson's puppet. And there's always that, that notion looming over you that the Mets are just going to wait until Mike Chernoff, Brian Cashman, and David Stearns are all free agents after next year. You know, John Heyman just tweeted minutes ago a quote from David Stearns that simply reads, I am happily employed, which is famous last words. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the same as saying, oh, he's our quarterback, and then starting, you know, it's, it's like when, when uh, Mike, not Mike, when Kyle Shanahan said he couldn't, he didn't know if Jimmy Garoppolo was going to make it another day, as right. if the dude was going to die in the morning or whatever it was. <laughs> and it's like, you know, yeah, Jimmy's our quarterback, and then drafts a quarterback third overall. Yeah. You know, like, those are famous last words. Fam yeah, he's, you know, that, he might as well just be Pop the Deuces right now to Milwaukee. So, and, like it, it goes back to something you've been saying for pretty much as long as you've been a part of the show is that they're going to be waiting for one of those big three guys for their contracts to expire. If Cashman had lost his job in New York after this year, we'd already have a president of baseball ops because Cashman would have had a job here in five minutes. But it goes to what you've been saying that either Stearns, Chernoff, or Cashman, they're going to be probably waiting for one of those guys if they couldn't poach him this year. So it's it's going to be it's so weird i just it's so i guess the word would be perplexing that it looks like it's going to be a one-year stopgap gm which i can't remember ever seeing in baseball maybe you know more than i do in terms of something like that but i don't remember a time where it's just like okay listen you're going to be a gm but you're only going to be here for a year and then you're going to be out the door maybe that's why they're having such issues bringing other people in but i don't know it's weird I I think a lot of it is that there's not much stability with the job. You know, obviously baseball executives, it's a, it's a famously fast turnaround on a lot of it, you know, mm. you know, Sandy Olson was only in his post for seven years and it's probably one of the longer 10 years of them, you know, aside from Brian Cashman. 
and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of quick turnover, especially if you don't succeed, succeed quickly and you don't totally follow management to a T. I think Crombie, if he is the man, will be given every chance possible to succeed. You know, he'll be able to learn under Sandy Alderson. But, you know, for all the hate people want to give Sandy, him and him and the Mets are pushing hard to bring buys back quickly. You know, he did lay out the groundwork for the Lindor Carrasco deal. You know, so there's definitely, I think, going to be every opportunity given to Adam to succeed if he's a man. You know, I think them, you know, Mike Mayer's report that they're looking at Sean Mondry Cohen as a man to add to their front office is also telling that this might be further along than we think. Um, so, you know, it's just, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at the Mets front office. You know, John Heyman reported the Mets now have 26 guys and gals working in their analytics department after it being basically six people going into 2021. You know, at the top of that chain is Ben Zosmer, you know, who's arguably one of the best analytic analytics guys in baseball who took on a lot more duties than he was originally supposed to last year after the, de- the departure of Jared Porter and then down the line, Zach Scott, you know, he was handling a lot more. So I, I can see a world where the Mets bring in Crombie, appease him by bringing, up, bringing in his guy, Mondry Cohen, promoting Zosmer. You know, there's still a lot of moving pieces in this front office, but I think, you know, they're going to give him every chance to succeed. And look, if at the end of the year, by this time next year, they bring in, whether it be David Stearns, Mike Chernoff, Brian Cashman, whoever, if they bring in one of those guys, they'll have this, you know, this this new regime of Crombie and whoever decides to bring in with him, they'll have a year under their belt where if they're successful, Stearns or whoever might look at them and go, all right, yeah, you're doing good work, but let's get at this. Let's keep going. Or if, you know, the Mets have another failing season and fall short of expectations again, Probably a situation in which Stern goes, Stearns or whoever tells him, thank you for your work. We appreciate it, but hit the road. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think they'll be given a chance to succeed. And I, again, like, I don't think Crombie would leave a secure job at one of the better law, big law firms in the country to come be a one-year GM and then have to either find a new job in baseball or a new job in, in the legal profession. Right. So I think that speaks to the security, if you will, of the job. Yeah, it's just uh, it's it's I don't know, man. It's weird. I I don't know how much I really love this this whole plan. I guess we'll have to see how it works. I could be I could be looking back at this this time next year and say, you know what? Great hire. Uh, here we are as World Series champs or NL East champs, and maybe we were talking about a a world where Krami is getting a an extension. Who knows? Who knows? It's going to be a very interesting thing to follow. But there's a lot more going on than just that. Qualifying offers have been given out. Some have already been rejected. Uh, the Mets gave out two qualifying offers, at, no, to no surprise there, one being to Noah Syndergaard and the other to be uh, Michael Conforto. Conforto obviously declined. Uh, I, I, I want to look into this a little bit because I, I want to find out if a Scott Boris client has ever accepted a qualifying offer because I'd be surprised if they ever have. And all, all seems seem to indicate that Syndergaard will be accepting his qualifying offer before the deadline. Um, Yeah, I don't think there's any real shock that Conforto declined it. And then you saw what Scott Boris has been saying, calling him the king of queens. Going to be a lot of suitors for him. I think we both expect him to go somewhere out west, potentially back home to Seattle, San Francisco. I think a place like a a couple teams in the central, like a Cincinnati – or Milwaukee make great fits. Cincinnati's seem to go in the opposite direction. They're trying to cut payroll now, so that looks like it's out the window. But Milwaukee could be a possible fit. But more likely than not, I think he's going back out west. My my guess is Sandy is not not San Diego. Is Seattle? Well, maybe San Diego. I mean, maybe if they can move, if they can move that Hosmer contract off the books. I can see that being a fit. Yeah, but um, I think mean, my best guess is Seattle. It just seems like too natural of a fit. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry Depoto loves spending, you know, just revolving the door at every position until someone forces him to stop it. <laughs> you know, so my best guess would be Seattle, maybe the Giants, but I don't, I'm not sure what their financial situation is right now. Um, yeah, I just, I think the, the Mariners are the team that makes the most sense. Um, I saw someone suggest the other day that maybe there's an off chance 
If Conforto does not get what he thinks he deserves, he circles back to the Mets, takes a one-year prove-it deal. But I'm not too sure if there's any legitimacy to that or if that's anything other than just pure speculation. Yeah, I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. I won't either. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate, but I think especially if you look out how everyone was acting his last uh, the last home game, he had tears in his eyes, the way I forgot who it was. Uh, I think it was it Ricky Bonus holding up his hand like he just won a title fight. It just seemed like it just seemed like everyone knew this was the final, this was the final goodbye. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's a career that's it's a Mets career that's run its course, run its course. I mean, it, it happens. It definitely happens sometimes. For so. sure. And again, unfortunate because he was he was a great Met. Uh, numbers don't really indicate that this year, but he had times where he was <laughs> defying the the narrative that he wasn't clutch. And he had some big hits for the Mets. He had that one hit off uh, against the Nationals. It was first career pinch hit home run. He had some great times in, in a Mets uniform, obviously coming up and playing in the World Series. Great Met. I'll always remember him as a Met. But unfortunately, it just seems like, like you said, his his time with the Mets has run his course. Um, but now let, let's kind of transition to another interesting question here. Of the, I think it's 12 to 14 players that were given the qualifying offer, let's just say they're with the assumption that they decline it. Who would you be willing to give up that 14th overall pick for? There's a couple here. I'm not giving it up for Belt. No. I, I think I would give it up for Castellanos. I disagree. Not, not I, a fan of the defense? No, it's horrid. If I remember correctly, <laughs> I think he was second percentile and outs above average last year. It's not year. good. <laughs> That's bottom 2% in the league, which yeah. is horridly bad. You know, yeah, but I, his, I, his I bad is two, incredible. I think I got two names off the top of my head I'd do it for. Maybe a third. Okay. Seeker and Correa for sure. Obviously. I would consider story. Okay. I would consider story dependent on how healthy his elbow is. I remember around the deadline, it came out that there were issues with his elbow that might be impacting him defensively. If it turns out he needs Tommy John or something like that, or he's have bone spurs removed, no. But if it was just general sore, wear and tear, dead arm, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. I think I'd definitely consider that, especially to play third base. Or second base if they can't retain bias. Right, right. But I'm not going to be as concerned about that because if you saw how he played, especially the last last three to four weeks, if I could be wrong, I could be dead wrong, but I'm pretty sure he had a really good September. So maybe it was just kind of a dead arm thing where you just need a couple of days to kind of get the stress off of it. But yeah, I'm definitely with you with Correa and Seager. I think you'd be foolish to not want to give up a draft pick for one of those guys. Um, just kind of running down the list. Freeman's not going anywhere. I'm not giving up the 14th pick for a reliever. I wouldn't even give the qualifying offer to a reliever ever. Not a fan of Robbie Ray. Not a big fan of Eduardo Rodriguez on the qualifying offer. Giving him like a regular multi-year deal, that's a different story. I would consider Marcus Simeon because I feel like the bat is legit. The defense is legit. So I would definitely consider that. I wouldn't have a problem doing it with story. Uh, Chris Taylor, no. Verlander. I might give it to I, – I might sacrifice that for Verlander. I might. This is a guy that's done it all. If you can – I mean, I would rather give him, you know – oh, man, that's, what, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because that's a guy that can really excel and, and catapult this, this rotation to – a World Series caliber rotation, but man, coming off of Tommy John, he's he's no spring chicken. I know he said he wants to pitch until he's like forty five or something like that, but it's tough to justify eighteen point four to a guy coming off of Tommy John. I think I I'm also not a big fan of giving assigning a qualified offer player who would be on a short term deal. Yeah, because you're not giving any more than like a two year deal. More than two years. So I think I'd stay away from that. Um, Simeon, yeah, I think his name might just slip my mind. I think he's a legit player. Um, I think everything for him is definitely there. But I also don't, I don't really see him leaving Toronto. Well, I mean, I, I, do I can see it happening. I do and I don't. If I were him, I wouldn't want to leave Toronto. 
But if I'm in Toronto, I got to pay Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero, Lourdes Gurriel, and a bunch of other dudes very soon. They got to pay Steven Matz this winter. <laughs> I, I No, I'm serious, man. I don't know if they're going to find better value than they have in Matz. He's, I think he's gone. They I already gave what, him a multi-year offer, and he turned it down. I think he's out. Yeah, it's all fun and games till he signs with the Phillies. Honestly, I I wouldn't one, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Two, I wouldn't be like, oh no, they got Steven Matz. Oh, like it's especially we've seen what he does when there's any sort of pressure on him. I love Steven Matz. I appreciated his time here. He folds like like tissue paper when there's any sort of pressure. When the cameras are on him, the bright lights are there, Steven Matz plummets. And in Philadelphia, are you kidding? He wouldn't get out of the second inning ever. We've seen what he does in Philly. Just imagine, just imagine in his first start in the second inning, he gives up a 435-foot bomb to whoever's batting six for Baltimore. He's going to get booed by 30,000 people, and then he's going to regret ever signing any deal in Philadelphia. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Let it happen. I have no remorse. I, I, I have nothing against Stephen Matz, but he would not do well in Philly. He He's a guy that needs to go to, like, Seattle where there's no pressure. Fair. Or, like, Kansas City. Um, yeah, I, but I think yeah. I'm with you there. It's tough to justify giving up the 14th overall pick for a guy that you're going to give Max a two if you want to get crazy three-year deal. But, yeah, so – you're looking two, maybe three guys that you'd sacrifice that pick for. Does it make a difference that it's a 14th pick and not a second round pick? Um, I mean, I think it does. I think, um, you know, I was talking about it with some other people in the know. You know, a big reason why the Mets aren't a totally attractive landing spot is that they're a very top-heavy team, both their their major league roster and their minor league roster. Um. They're very top-heavy in terms of prospects. They're very top-heavy in terms of their major league roster. It's not a lot of depth. So there's some serious work to be done. But part of that is alleviated when in the probably the most loaded class since Correa's year, I think it was 2012, 12 and 13 were both loaded drafts. Mm. I think in the, this, you know, the 2020 draft class is probably the best draft class the last eight or nine years. I mean, you look at the names that came out of 2013. You have to remember, like, the relatively – not that it's a low bar for first-round picks, but if you're a solid major league contributor, you're a good first-round pick. For sure. You have uh, John Gray, Chris Bryant, um, Clint Frazier, Hunter Dozier, who's, I think, one of the more underrated names of baseball. I'd agree with that. Austin Meadows. Dom Smith, Hunter Renfro, J.P. Crawford, Tim Anderson, Marcos Gonzalez. Uh, you got uh, Aaron Judge came out that year. Corey Knable, Sean Manaya, Devin Williams. You know, you have all these like guys that became like solid major league players. You know, Tyler O'Neill was a third round pick. Jeez. Right. You know, Cody Bellinger round four. Um. You know, so there's a lot of solid names that come out of that draft. And I think, you know, it's tough to kind of grade drafts by, you know, how how good or bad of a draft it was. Well, no, I said that backwards. It's tough to grade graphs, grade drafts by, you know, oh, they have generational player X, Y, and Z in that draft. Whichever draft turns out the, mo the most major leaguers possible, and the most solid major leaguers is probably one of the better drafts. Sure. 2012, 2013 drafts put out a lot of solid major leaguers that are legitimate contributors. So I think this year's draft has a chance to do that and has a chance to turn, turn out a lot of stars. You know, there's a lot of really good names at the top of the draft. Jeff McNeil was a 12th round pick in that draft. Yeah, that was, look, that was a solid draft by any measure. It's a really good one. So then I think you look at this year's draft, I think a name that a name that we are most definitely going to hear the Mets connect, connected to that not a lot of people will love on the surface is Drew Jones, son of Andrew Jones. There it is. There it is. So I think we'll see that connection a lot. 
but you know you have a chance to kind of add two legitimate potential top 100 guys to your system hmm. and if you're going to forfeit chance to add a second in a loaded class you have to be 100 percent sure of why you're doing it you do that for a, a not maybe a story but a seeger and a crayon who are generational talents for sure that changes the outlook of your team and it's not like you're getting them on a two-year deal like you would have justin verlander mm-hmm. you're probably getting them six seven eight nine years i would agree these are Especially guys who are still, right these are guys who are still under 30 you could argue haven't even entered their primes. Yeah. Or just entering into their primes. The one thing that I find, I, I wonder if this is going to be something that happens. We all know this, the CBA is going to expire December 1st. I wonder if one of the things that change in the CBA is the ability to trade draft picks. Because if that's so, if that happens, that 14th overall pick becomes far more valuable. So I wonder if that's something they're going to hold out for. I think it's possible, but I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on it. I think still in terms of where the rest of the, where the rest of the sports world is at, the Mets are always going to be a little bit further behind. Of course. Yeah. I mean, in every other major sport, you've been able to trade draft picks for God knows how long, but baseball Baseball is still run by dinosaurs. Baseball was the last one to allow trading draft picks. Baseball was, I think the last one to institute video review. Oh yeah. You know, so your baseball is always going to be behind, you know, so it is what it is. But I think that definitely be interesting. But then again, that would give you more incentive to hold on to that pick. Because now, you, can, you know, because if you're looking at, you know, let's say you're, you're the Cubs. Or that's a bad example. Let's say you're the Houston Astros. Came off a really good year. Mm. So you're not going to have a great draft pick. You have a phenomenal phenomenal player development department probably the best in baseball one of the best baseballs ever seen mm-hmm. but you don't have a totally strong farm system your player development group is good enough that you can turn these sorry you're good baseball text. you can see the little double take i did yeah you can i think you know so you have a player development system that's good enough that you can turn not great prospects into legitimate major leaguers you know not to bring Brody back up, but they've made Blake Taylor look like a hell of a reliever. For sure. And he was not a, you know, I think I always thought he was going to be a good reliever, but I never thought he kind of hit the height he did his rookie year in Houston. I mean, he was a setup guy last year. He was a setup guy at parts of this year, even when what they had when they had uh, Stanick and they traded for Graveman. There are times where setting up Brian Presley before he got hurt, Blake Taylor was there in the seventh and eighth inning. Yeah, he's been a phenomenal reliever for him. But a huge part of that is, you know, Houston's player development system. So now if you're Houston, you have a chance to bring in a top pick in the draft. And you can do so just by simply making a trade. Right. And you know you can replace a player you traded away because you have that good of a player development system. Right. So it's it was set up perfectly for a team like that or a team like Atlanta. Atlanta does that too with the best of them. Mm. Not as great this year. They definitely struggled this year with it. But it's been progressive. I mean, I don't think Atlanta's going to be complaining about any of their player development anytime soon since they just won a damn ring with a core that they had minus Acuna and um, the guy's name, uh, Soroka. But it was mainly the core and then the guys that they brought in at the deadline. They made four minor moves at the deadline and that ended up winning the whole damn thing. They had the first guy to ever win the World Series MVP that wasn't on their opening day roster. Just wild um that's pretty much all the stuff i have on the qualifying offer players but one of the things that we that we listed as something we want to talk about is just because just try to fill some time here for you what would make the quote-unquote perfect offseason for the mets i mean a gm and a manager i think that's a fairly simple request to start I mean, <laughs> yeah but yeah, yeah it might not be a silly thing but um, I think ideally, I think all signs point to Crombie being their next man. I think with that, and if he is bring, to bring in Mondry Cullen as not his right-hand man, but as someone to lean on, I think you're going to hear a lot of Tim Bogart rumors about being the next Mets manager just because of the Nationals tie, former Met. Would it be a sexy hire? Would it be a bad hire? You kind of live with it for a little bit until you're on to the next one. But, um, you know, I just think if they – nail down some stability 
upstairs, you know, and make some moves you need to, whether that be moving on from the decision makers who, you know, behind the Kumar Rocker pick, mm. and whether it be promoting from within to kind of stabilize the front office. I think Ben Zosmer is overdue for a promotion. He hasn't even been here a year. You know, I definitely think they're inclined to move him up a little bit. Um, in terms of on the field, I mean, I think you need to bring Baez back. I think it's a given conf- or that Syndergaard is coming back. So, I mean, in theory, you do need to replace Familia. You need to replace Loop or bring back Loop. And you need to, I think, add another quality arm to the pen. Um, I don't remember exactly what his contract status is. I don't know if he has another year of control. But I thought Heath Henry was very solid for the Mets down the stretch. He he was. I'm going to look it up right now. That's a grip. I kind of forgot all about him. I can check it up right now. Let's see. Heath Henry. I think he's still a Met. He, uh, I mean, baseball reference does not have him as a free agent. Not until 2022. So, okay. Well, that changes your outlook a little bit. It's another solid arm you have towards the front end of your bullpen, but I think they High do strikeout more. guy too. I do right. I do think think they need one more arm in the same conversation. No, he is a free agent. God damn it! Bring Heath Henry back. Um, <laughs> I think you need another arm in the conversation in the realm of you know a Trevor May or a Miguel Castro, because um, I think at times the Mets got too reliant, or I think at times the Mets realized their bullpen wasn't deep enough where they can avoid Edwin Diaz some days, and you know if he's not feeling it because you've already used your other viable closers to get you there, especially if Seth Lugo is not the dominant Lugo we used to know, and he's more so in the conversation of a Miguel Castro. Mm-hmm. I do think you need one more back-end arm. Um, you know, I think you got to bring Baez back. I think you definitely need an upgrade at third base. Whether that's Simeon, whether that's Chapman, you know, whether that's Story, Correa, whoever. What did you think about Heyman's prediction of seven years, 175 for Chris Bryant? I don't know just because I don't know what the new CBA looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, I do think Bryant is someone that will sign before the lockout. Interesting. I I think most qualifying offer guys will wait until after just because no one's going to want to sign them yet. If, If the new CBA comes out that you don't have to forfeit draft picks anymore, Let's say the new forfeit is slot money or something like like right. international slot money. With, let's say they say your third highest pick and twenty and forty percent of your international slot money. Mm-hmm. If that's the new, if that's the new penalty, then you're going to have a lot less t- of the situations where you see, um, you know, like Craig Kimbrell or Dallas Keuchel still being. Unemployed into into the spring, into spring right. training. Yeah, and this is something that I put out on the on the tweet that I'm we're still getting likes on. The only thing that I would have some pause over is the seven years. If it's a five year deal, I'm, I'm okay doing, giving him seven years. You're good giving him seven. We're gonna have a DH, and the bat will always be the last. That's, that's true. The bat will always be the last thing to go. I definitely think there's a world where, you know, if Bryant, for whatever reason, let's say that I think he is knee problem. Is it knee or hips? I think it's one I of was his back. It might be his back then. But Harper has the hip issues. Right. Because of that violence. Because he, Someone I don't like, know, I don't know how he doesn't pop out his shoulder once again. But I think, you know, if there is a world where maybe the back issues become too much for Bryant. So he, by 34, he's Nelson Cruz and he gives you. <laughs> he plays until he's 40 just hitting absolute taters and hey hey you know what DH, i'm cool with that if we have a dh bring nelson cruz home yeah honestly i'm not even joking if there is a dh that's falling into my perfect offseason if there's a dh there's no better dh on the planet right now than what is he 42 year old nelson cruz this is a guy that still hits for average. He drives and runs. He hits absolute bombs. He has some of the longest home runs that we see today. And again, he's the oldest guy in the field when he's not playing against Albert Pujols. He he does nothing but rake. Nelson Cruz was brought onto this planet to hit bombs. 
that that bomba squad in Minnesota that started around him. Right. That was, and then went to the days of him and Robbie Cano just hitting absolute taters back to back. Why'd you have to bring up Cano? Get used to it, buddy. He 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 for all intents and purposes right now is your opening day third baseman. No, He's thank you. Third base down the Dominican leagues. No, thank you. I don't think we have a choice. <laughs> you will sit down and take your Robinson Cano <laughs> like it's a kid taking Robitussin. Oh, my God. So, but back to my ideal offseason. I think yes. you kind of accept that Robinson Cano is either your second baseman or your third baseman. I think if you don't bring back Baez, maybe you keep Cano at second and you look more into a story of Simeon or Correa to play third. You know, if you do bring back Baez, you live with Cano at third, hit him seventh, whatever. You know, I think we all can agree that that's effectively one starting outfielder right now, and that's up the middle of Brandon Nimmo. So I think you need two outfielders. Ideally for me, you can take me more the direction of Harrison Bader feels like a very Mets move. It's a very Mets move, but I don't think St. Louis is going to trade him. Maybe not, but I can see a world where the Mets kind of maybe shoot for a platoon, try and bring in a left-handed bat to complement Bader, and you kind of shuffle Nimmo in and out of center field depending on when Bader does and doesn't play. That feels very Mets. You know, they haven't had that strong glove up the middle. I mean, Billy Hamilton, I guess. Um. <laughs> but if we're talking, I mean, Jake Marisnik, yeah, but he played like 12 games in a 16-game season. It would be the strongest glove we have out there since Juan Lagares. Yeah, consistently in a full-year basis, Juan Lagares. Um, you can definitely sign me up. You know what? I think they should call James Click, see if he's trying to move some money around. Maybe you bring in Michael Brantley. I love that. You know, maybe you maybe you think Mark Canna has more to prove. You know, the Mets analytic department is 26 guys deep. One of them can fix Mark Canna. Right. And the tools for Canna are definitely there. I don't think there's a whole lot to fix there. I mean, I he think kinda, Canna's solid. He kind of tailed off at the end. Well, so did all of Oakland. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. <laughs> so for you, you're looking. I think I'm looking more modest moves, and then yeah. I try. I think I make a big, a big splash in the rotation. I think I bring in Gosman. You know, if your opening day rotation looks something like Grom, Carrasco, Syndergaard, Walker, Gosman. And in the you know in your depth you have Yamamoto, McGill, Peterson, Robert Stock as your nine. I think uh, you can. Live... We still have Trevor Williams, I think, too, right? Right. Yeah, and you have Williams in there. Maybe he's maybe he's in the pen. You're yeah. forgetting one guy. We still got Joey Fuego. Dude, his elbow was blown to bits. Joey Fuego, he's Joey still Fuego there. Can come back at the deadline and be Sandy Alderson's big deadline move. <laughs> there you go. But, you know, so I think, I think, you know, I don't think that's a bad depth last year. You just can't, it's hard to predict your depth getting hurt. Right. You can't build depth for depth. You know, and they'll have, you know, and I think, you know, if they bring in, you know, if they bring in a story to play third and he gets hurt, you know, maybe, maybe you, maybe you call on Brett Beatty or Mark Vientos. But, you know, I think definitely it's more – I think it's more – they're going to have to take an aggressive yet modest approach at the same time. I don't expect them to go towards the top of the market with the Correa per se. If I had to be totally honest, I think they move Nito, bring in a better backup catcher they can platoon with McCann instead of him being the backup. I think they bring back Baez. I think they pencil in Cano at third and maybe try and bring back VR so that way if Cano just vehemently sucks – you run with VR until you can make a move. I do think Canna has Mets written all over him, especially if Sandy Olsen has anything to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they maybe they go Starling Marte, but that's going to be a fat market. You know, or may, maybe maybe they throw money at Chris Bryant to be their left fielder. You know, yeah. I think for as much as for as much chirping as Sandy Olsen and Scott Boris like to do a lot of it's I think a lot of it's fairly lighthearted and, and in good fun. And yeah, so, you know they've they've been working together for years. It's it's no worry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think they need to round out the bullpen. Andrew Chafin makes a lot of sense. 
I would love that. Yeah. Even if they bring back Aaron Loop, there's nothing wrong with having two high-quality lefties. And I think Chafin might be that one kind of high-end, back-end arm they're missing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't mind if they kind of take the closer-by-committee approach next year. You know, whenever you need the, the highest leverage outs, go to your best guy. And if you have your number three pitch in the ninth inning, it doesn't matter because you already got past the best arms with. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I think for me – one of the guys that I would love to target in the back end of the bullpen, Chafin is a good one. If Oakland's going to keep off selling guys, I think this guy's actually free agent now. Deekman is another great option uh, from the left side. If we're going righties, I would love to, to, for them to go after a guy like Kendall Graveman. He was awesome in Seattle. He was awesome with Houston after the trade. He's that guy that can, if, if you're going a, a six, seven, eight, nine of Aaron Loop, Trevor May, Kendall Graveman, Edward Diaz, and some sort of combination of that. I feel like you really like your chances. You're shortening the game. If you have a lead through five, six innings, you got to feel really good about your chances pulling out a W. Uh, you definitely need, I think you need to resign Loop. I think you have to. You can't have a guy have a year that he did, a sub one ERA. And yes, bullpen arms are, are incredibly volatile, but having the year that he did, in this ballpark, you have to figure out some way to bring him back on 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 a good deal. You got to have, I think, including Loop. I think you need to bring in two very good bullpen arms, whether it be someone that break, gives you some length, maybe like a, a Colin McGill reunion, and then, like I said, a Kendall Graveman, something just to really round out the bullpen. Because at times we saw something like you said, the depth just really wasn't there. So. You can't go to Miguel Castro every time. You can't rely on these guys to give you five innings of shutout relief every single game. You just can't have that happen. It's just, it's not, it's not plausible. So I think you need to bring in two to three bullpen arms, including Aaron Loop. You need at least one starter, at least one, probably two. If you're going to try to make a splash, you go for Verlander. Really? You're willing to lose a draft pick for, what if what if what if he comes back and his elbow's just not the same? It looks like 2018 Matt Hardy. And now you have a prime, a prime prospect kicking around in another system when it could be in yours. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I think just... that would be worse. I think that would be worse than when they gave up a first round pick for Michael Kadire. And when there should have been pick came to the board, Austin Riley and Walker Bueller were both still on the board. Seven years ago today. That's painful. Seven years ago today, they signed Michael Kadire. And sure when did. their pick came around in that draft, Walker Bueller and Austin Riley were both still on the board. But they didn't have their pick because they signed Kadire, who gave them one year. One year, and then he retired. Right. I mean, the, his best play for the Mets might have been retiring because <laughs> he saved them money. Yeah. If they turn around and went on Cespedes. I'm sorry, but I, I can't see giving Verlander – qualifying offer all right i'll 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 rephrase it this way a normal year yes i think just like when you're in tune with the draft and talking to some evaluators and seeing the common theme and the common opinion of this draft is it's stupid loaded there's right, so be, I'll, I'll restructure my, my be, thought this way then if they change the way with the the, the pick sacrifice to what you're saying where it's a third highest pick and and, and a percentage of your international slot money i think we could revisit the, the Justin Verlander to Queen conversation. For now, we'll table it. We'll put it on the back burner. But if they change that rule at all in the slightest, I'm very interested in bringing Verlander here. But if not, okay, you can change it up. I still think you need... I think the Mets need to make two splashes. They need to make a splash on the field and on the mound. Isn't the mound on the field? You know what I mean. Wise ass. All right, Jabroni. At this point, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sold on the whole Chris Bryant coming here because we've been talking about Chris Bryant to the Mets for a year at this point. And I'm going to go back to what I said at the trade deadline. I feel like there's too much smoke for the not to be fire when it comes to a Mets Chris Bryant match. 
it just makes too many too much sense for too many reasons. He can play a bunch of positions well. The bat's gonna be there. He's still young. He's not even thirty yet. He like I think it just it makes so much sense because he could play every possible position that the Mets need. He plays third, all three outfield positions, and if Pete needs a day off or you put him at DH, guess well, Chris Bryant could play first base as well. So I think that's your your position player splash. I think they go out and make a trade for one of the guys in the market, whether it be a Luis Castillo, whether it be a Chris, Bra- uh, Chris Bassett or Frankie Montas. I think that's, that's the route they take for, for, for the rotation and then round it out with, with some signing one of the middle, middle of the pack uh, starting pictures. Steven Matz, baby. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> and then you need two outfielders. You need two outfielders. Starling Marte and, May Canna, and Mark Hanna make a lot of sense, but you just need to somehow round out that outfield. I just think when you look at the guys like Hanna, you're not going to be able to bring in an A-plus at every position. Of course not. Sometimes you have to bring in a solid B-minus, C-plus type player. For sure. And I think Hanna's a good enough player where he's not, he's not going to lose you games. That's how I look at the Broncos and their quarterbacks. You know, Teddy Bridgewater is not going to lose you games. Right. Mark is not going to lose you games. They're also not going to win you games. You will not look at a game and go, whoa, man, if we didn't have Mark Canna. Yeah. But there's definitely options where you can go, wow. It's like Drew Locke. You can go, wow, he he lost us today's game. <laughs> I think there's definitely, there's definitely times where you look at certain Mets players and you're like, wow. They probably don't lose the game if he even plays mediocrely well. Yeah, but I mean – Mark Hanna does all the things that the Mets have been looking for. He gets on base. He's going to hit 20 20 or so home runs. He's going to drive in some runs. He's going to draw his walks. He plays a solid outfield. No, I think he makes a lot of sense, and I think you're going to see the Sandy Alderson Oakland connection kind of work in a little bit there. Yeah. If not not Mark Hanna, there are other guys out there. One guy that I have always loved is Corey Dickerson. I'm a big Corey Dickerson fan, so if we brought him in to play left field, I'm fine with it. Another guy, and you brought up one of the um, – I forgot who you said was. Uh, who was it? Hunter Dozier. You called him one of the more under undervalued guys in baseball, one of the more underappreciated guys in all baseball. For me, Avi Garcia falls under that same category. If you're looking for someone that's going to hit for power, hit absolute – tank shots good speed good outfielder solid arm he's not you know in the same realm where he's not going to lose you games but he might actually win you some avi garcia is that guy he's going to give you like a one-year 10 million dollar deal he's going to get it done in the end we just have to prepare ourselves for the 20 million man playing third base oh that falls under my perfect offseason as well we buy out his contract get him out of here i don't care i don't care send him what? Give him a new deal. You're such an ass. Look, he missed out on a year. It's not his fault. It is his fault. He got suspended. Sure. sure. He Bring got suspended back. for juicing for the second time. One more and he's out. Bring it. Okay, we'll bring Henry Mejia back while we're at it. They let him back in. That's true. <laughs> What's he doing these days? He went to Boston. Briefly. Yeah. He currently is not pitching for anyone. That's unfortunate. Yeah, because he like stinks without his horse steroids in his body. Well, it works for some people. <laughs> Look, he's just he was, he was a player born in the wrong era. Bud Selig wouldn't have given a shit. No. But here we are with our stupid commissioner. <laughs> Congrats, everyone. The game sucks, but it finished three minutes earlier. How long until this dude says no more beer at games? Oh, I hope that doesn't happen. You and me both. <laughs> I I wouldn't know though. I I wouldn't. No, of course not. No, I have no opinion on the topic. You just want to. You want your first beer to be at a Met game. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mets go to Miami, and you're there, one of the 13 people in Marlins Park, whatever the hell it is. Then. Hey, that's a nice stadium. I, I bet. It. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I would. The staff was a little rude, considering I was on crutches slash in a wheelchair. 
for like a weird time to pick on me and have a stick up your butt. <laughs> but you live with it. <laughs> hey, that's it's an air conditioned stadium. Like I can't complain. That's you know what? Yeah. Okay. You know, if you sit under the vents, it feels like New York and the playoffs, but yeah. Just pray. Just pick your seats better. <laughs> I learned that one the hard way. Didn't you say you were like right behind the catcher? For one game. The other game, I was out next to the bullpens in right field. Gotcha. That was right under vents. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was, I, again, was not complaining. <laughs> all right. You got anything else to add on this one? No, I think that's all I got. Yeah. If they find a manager soon. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. I think I saw someone saying that as early as Saturday, they can make some sort of hiring official. So, I mean, I heard this, the, you know, the earliest this could happen would probably be this weekend. Mm-hmm. That's just what I heard. But, you know, you have it thrown in there that we're still at the winter meetings. So you do have that caveat of, you know, Sandy is involved in the process, but Sandy's also trying to go out and make deals right now. He's meeting with the Boris camp and the Baez camp. So you never know. Yeah. Earliest I heard was Saturday. You know, my guess is probably early next week they make a higher official, which would all intents and purposes will be Adam Crombie. Right. Sorry, anything unforeseen, far more unforeseen than Matt Arnold just not wanting the job. <laughs> um, and I think past that, I would expect the, that they hire a manager pretty quickly because these guys have someone in mind. For sure. And I would guess if they hire Adam Crombie, the favorite would be Tim Bogar. That makes a lot of sense. And they even or, interviewed him before they hired um before they hired Louie or before they hired Mickey. Dick Nick, Nick, I think. Probably. But I think maybe, maybe they gave Matt Williams a call. That would be terrible. Remember when he bunted Anthony Rendon? Yeah. Up for Yulieski for Yuli Escobar. Yeah, I sure do. Might be the worst in-game decision I've ever seen in my life. That's like rivaling Callaway giving the wrong lineup card. It's up there. God, Matt Williams says nothing right. <laughs> you can't even lose the right way. <laughs> All right, but uh before we go. We are looking at back-to-back weeks of setting records for high listeners. So thank you for that. We've gained over 100 followers in less than a month. We've gone to 500 to 600. I think last I checked, we're at like 618 or something like that. So thank you for that. Support has been fantastic. I'm telling you guys, we're we're really trying to build something here this offseason. And you're only going to see that with with what we do and the production value that we bring in, with the guests we bring on. Like I said, we're going to hopefully get try to get on to – Know, start up uh, maybe a YouTube channel, get some video podcasts going. We'll, we're going to try to figure some out, get some big things going on here. Uh, so again, like I said, thank you for all that. Thank you for all the incredible support. And before we go, just one more thing, just I, it, it, the, the stunning news of the sudden passing of Pedro Feliciano at 45 years old, passing away in his sleep. All like some of my, my, my childhood memories were just watching it almost got to a point where I thought games were somewhat scripted because it's just every single game. It's like, okay, here it is Pedro Feliciano coming out again. Or I thought I was watching a rerun. It's just Pedro Feliciano pitching for the eighth day in a row. The guy was absolutely incredible. Uh, he, he just, he loved baseball. He loved the game. He loved pitching. It's just, he's on, he was unbelievable. Uh, gone way too soon passing away at 45 years old. So rest in peace to Pedro Feliciano. We agree. You said it perfectly. All right. Well, for Antonio Slater and Jack Ramsey, we'll see you guys next time. LFGM.